the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to Magic Markets. Welcome to episode 39 of Magic Markets and I'm sitting here looking at Mo's face on my screen which means it's a Tuesday night and we are excited to record a yet another episode of the podcast that we love so much so thank you for listening to us and Mo, welcome to the show as ever. Thanks Ghost, uh, love hosting this with you and uh, always excited to, to share some of our thinking with, with our listeners. Uh, today we are taking a, a somewhat different uh, track on things. I think you know we're trying to broaden out what we what we share with our listeners, and we we certainly hope you enjoyed our last show where we we discussed specific stock ideas. Uh, but Ghost, maybe you should tell our listeners what's in store for them today. Yeah, so it's something that I've seen a lot of debates about on Twitter, and and sometimes people have asked me directly, and it actually inspired me to write about it in Ghost Mail this week. But that is basically the use of exchange-traded funds or ETFs in a share portfolio. Um, you and I both you know, use these products, and I would almost go so far as to say that for most people, it's just a, it's just a sensible thing to do, is to use this stuff in a portfolio. And the idea tonight is to you know, discuss how we use them in a portfolio, what we look for in a product like that, and, and really why they exist. And Mo, you've got quite a lot of experience in this, actually, from your life in global markets, don't you? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think if memory serves, one of the first, if not the first ETF in South Africa was uh, GLD. Uh, it was Absa's New Gold. And, uh, you know, that, that that was, I think, one of the first that actually hit the market. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking non-equity ETFs. Uh, obviously, you've got the, the Satrix 40 down there, which is, is well established. Uh, and then, you know, from those good old days, if you want to call it that, the market has ballooned. And the market's ballooned because initially there was a big push for ETFs as passive investment vehicles. Uh, and we can discuss the difference between passive and active. We can also discuss the difference between, you know, ETFs that have the underlying asset versus those that offer you synthetic exposure because it fundamentally changes some of your risks. And I think investors need to be aware of those. But it's ballooned into a market now that has certainly in many respects superseded the active management market, certainly in terms of the way investors frame and approach their own portfolios. It has made markets considerably more accessible. Now, one of the key selling points has obviously been the low cost structure. Uh, and what's also important is that initially, for me at least, initially, ETFs, specifically because they played in the passive space, were all about beta. It was about how do you add beta into your portfolio? And then you had an alpha overlay, which was the value that you added to the portfolio. So beta, for those that are not familiar, is kind of the generic market exposure. You will meet whatever market you're investing in. The alpha is whether you exceed the return of that market. And then there's negative alpha, which is if you underperform the market. And then ETFs started going into an interesting direction where you started getting active ETFs, where you would now overlay 
an asset manager into it. And they had a certain methodology that they applied in terms of how they manage the underlying assets of that ETF. Very similar to a, a mutual fund or what you would call in South Africa a unit trust. And so now it's, it's actually become what I think is an unwieldy, very large universe that is both good and bad. Good in that you can really go and find very nuanced exposures to certain strategies, certain sectors of the market. I mean, they're covered call ETFs, for example, here in North America. You know, so when I say strategies, I mean something that's quite sophisticated. The concern for me is that proliferation of ETFs makes it increasingly difficult for investors to truly know what they're investing in, what their real risk-reward payoff profile looks like. And that means that you almost have to do as much due diligence on an ETF than you would on for example, investing in single stocks. So Mo, let's say that I'm sitting in front of my screen and there are five different top 40 ETFs that I can invest in. What would set them apart? I mean, I would look at stuff like the fees, which generally will differ by a very small amount. All of these passive products have low fees. I mean, that's kind of the promise behind them. Um, they all reference how closely they've tracked the index that they are, are trying to follow ultimately. I mean, I would be interested to hear if there's sort of more to it than that, because you know a lot more than I do about how the back-end structures of these ETF products work. Or is it just a case of... of you know, the old financial services story where it's about distribution. So if each of the banks has a top 40 ETF, they've each got a team of sort of wealth managers running around selling that to clients. And they obviously don't want to run around selling the, the competitors' products. I mean, is that is that also part of this? Yeah, so it, it's an interesting question in that it's also resulted in the evolution of some of the ETF products. So if, for example, we use your example, a, a generic top 40 ETF, yes, you'd look at your total expense ratio, your costs, you'd look at your tracking error, because that's telling you how efficient is your counterparty, the person who's issuing the ETF, how efficient are they at actually executing this passive strategy? Uh, if they're more efficient and they aren't, you know, execution slips and so forth, your tracking error will be very, very small. The other thing I like to look at is, you know, who's market making this? What does the depth in the market look like? So the reason why I look at this is that if you start looking at sizable positions in a particular ETF, you want to make sure that your market maker is the person who's going to be there and make a price for you should you want to get in or get out that is competitive. And quite often people don't look at that. So you look at the expense ratio, but you don't realize that maybe your market makers double, that's the spread between their buy and sell price, is a lot wider than the next market makers double. So that's something I would look at as well. And then lastly, and, and this almost, you, you got to deviate a little away from your question in terms of a top 40 ETF, is that the evolution has meant that for example, here in, in Canada, I'll use an example, is that you get a, a whole range of ETFs that will give you generic exposure to, let's say, Canadian banks. But what they do and how they differentiate themselves then is in the underlying methodology. So, for example, they'll say it's market cap weighted, but we will cap it out at a certain percentage. So maybe a 10% maximum on any particular stock or there are equally weighted strategies. There are strategies where, for example, they will upweight or downweight based on other criteria. And that's where the more kind of, I wouldn't go so far as to call it active. I would really go and say it's, it's their quantitative bounds in terms of how the underlying behaves that change what the product is. I, I guess one last point as well, and this is less of an issue in South Africa than it is globally, is that to my knowledge, the last time I checked in South Africa, ETFs 
had to be backed by the physical. So if it's a top 40 ETF, it's backed by physical stock that sits in a custodial account. And so you don't have custodial risks. Uh, whereas up here in North America, I guess in the rest of, of, of world markets, I would want to see, you know, what's the custodial arrangement? Uh, where does my underlying asset actually sit? Is it with a counterparty that I trust? Uh, is it in a segregated portfolio or not? Uh, and then lastly, is it actually, and this is more so globally, is it actually physically backed or am I buying exposure to a synthetic uh, to a synthetic payoff profile? Uh, and that, yes, becomes more of a problem in terms of your more exotic ETFs, but not necessarily the case. So if you're buying a, a vanilla commodities basket, uh, just by virtue of that market, you would have exposure to underlying not only commodity futures, but potentially swaps as well. And so it now means that as an investor, you have to educate yourself that much more in terms of what are you actually buying, because all of those instruments will synthesize a broad exposure for you, but tend to behave very differently in economic and financial market stress periods. And Mo, these ETFs get really interesting, don't they? I mean, financial engineering kicks in a bunch of really clever people on trading floors and in global markets businesses try and put together interesting stuff. One of the ones that's just launched is, is a, a way to short the ARK Innovation Fund, I think it is specifically. And they really missed a trick with that ticker. I saw a brilliant comment on Twitter that they should have called it Shark, which would have been excellent for short ARK. I'm not exactly sure what they did go with, but it really should have been Shark, and that certainly stuck with me. That's not what it is, though. Don't go looking for Shark. Um, but I think that's been structured as an ETF, hasn't it, that essentially shorts Cathy's ETF, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm not entirely familiar because I, I haven't gone to look uh, a Gone, gone to look for it. I probably would have if it was called Shark because that is that is quite catchy. But um, you know, I, I I'm not familiar with the details of that. Uh, something to probably go and have a look at and, and see how they go about doing that. I know that getting access to the original Arc units from a short uh, perspective, a script borrow perspective, is very expensive. So uh, I don't know if they're applying a, a methodology that goes and looks at Kathy's holdings and then potentially bets against those holdings. Uh, but this also highlights the importance of understanding the methodology of what you invest in, simply because you could justify, let's call it a, a, a short arc ETF by saying, we apply this methodology to synthesize or to produce a short exposure on ARC. Uh, I guess the truth of it all comes out when you then look at the tracking error of an inverse ARC versus how this short ARC ETF would perform. Because that really tells you how effective they are at, at delivering on the strategy that the marketing certainly seems to be suggesting. Yeah, so the benefit of doing this is I managed to just Google now, literally. So this is a, this is a bit of live research. So it's Tuttle Capital Management. And it is an ETF, and the, the ticker is SARK, S-A-R-K. They really missed a trick there. And uh, it, it is the inverse performance of the ARK Innovation ETF through swaps contracts. So they filed that with the SEC, and we'll see if it, if it actually comes through. So, you know, ETFs at, at one end of the spectrum are quite boring. It's kind of like just go buy a top 40 exposure, and, and that's it, you know. And at the other end of the spectrum, there's a lot of financial engineering that, that actually takes place in these things, I suppose. The other thing for South Africans that is very relevant is these global feeder funds because it means that you can go and buy into the S&P 500 or you can buy into the NASDAQ 100 or a slew of Signia products that are actually quite innovative and they've really built their whole business around that of bringing unusual ETFs into play. Um, and, and there the whole idea is you're not actually taking your money out of South Africa. So you're getting the exposure offshore, but you're not having to go and ask the Reserve Bank very nicely if you can if you can do that. So that's obviously been a popular product in recent years as the JSE has underperformed 
relative to global markets. But as we've seen in the past few months, the JSC is now playing catch up in a big way, especially the value stocks on the JSC. And so as with all these things, uh, for those of us who sit and watch the markets all the time, it, it is about time in the market, not just time in the market. I think a lot of these uh, now South African listed ETFs that allow you global exposure without taking your money out is also an evolution of the old school asset swap funds that certain asset managers would offer you saying, you give us RANDs, we'll invest in global markets, uh, we'll then repatriate your profits when you cash out and pay you out in RANDs. So again, that's obviously when dealing with South African exchange control problems, which is an entire topic for another, another show. Uh, I'm certainly not a fan of those. And, and Mo, I'm, I'm curious how you use ETFs in your own portfolio. Like, what is your strategy with these things? Uh, you know, walk us through that. I mean, I, I like to look at ETFs, first of all, not just in the equity space. Uh, quite often, I mean, you know, and our listeners know from the show that I first apply a global macro lens, a top-down lens, and that gives me a semblance of the types of mega trends that I would like to play over the longer term. Now, quite often... You identify the trend first, and then it necessitates a considerable amount of additional research to figure out exactly how you want to play that trend, uh, what parts of the value chain, for example, you'd like to tackle. These are things we've discussed on, on previous shows. So again, I'd urge listeners who haven't listened to our last show, please go and, and give it a listen. We discuss some of these aspects there. But along those lines, I would first identify the trend. And then let's say, for example, I were in a position where I think the move is imminent. I want to get exposure to the trend, but I haven't had the time to go and do the deep down bottom up research in terms of stock selection. That's where I would apply an ETF. Uh, it's almost like, like I discussed earlier, is you get the beta in the portfolio, you get the broader strokes right, and thereafter you can start to finesse it. So I use it as almost a stopgap measure, uh, throw it into the portfolio. Once I've done additional research, I do one of two things. I either decide that there's maybe no upside in actually divesting from the ETF, I'm better off with a more diversified exposure, or I divest from the ETF if I've identified good bottom-up uh, stocks that I would like to get into. Then going across the road to other asset classes is where I think there are also lots of opportunities. So for example, I talk a lot about the Fed and what's happening, for example, with inflation expectations, what's happening with the US 10-year yield. And for a lot of investors, these are abstractions, but they're not because there are, and I'll just use two examples here. There, there's a, 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 a TLT, which is an ETF, a tilt, if you want to call it that, that is an iShares ETF that gives you exposure to the US 20-year uh, T-bond, right? And it behaves like the bond. So the price you see on the screen is like the bond price. And so as yields fall, TLT will go up in price. We've always discussed how you know yields and price are, are inverse on that. So that's a nice way to just get generic exposure to the US to a point on the US yield curve. But then we discuss stuff that's maybe a little more esoteric and something that's topical that we've discussed on the show would have been inflation expectations. And guess what? There's an ETF in the U.S. that allows you to trade a view on U.S. inflation expectations. And the code there is RINF. And that basically gives you exposure to the 30-year break-evens of inflation expectations in, in the U.S. Now, again, if you delve into it, if you do what we always like to do on the show is scratch beneath the surface, you'll realize that how are you doing this? Well, there's probably an assortment of index swaps on the bottom of these. They're not necessarily going out buying you know, the inflation-linked bonds, the TIPS securities. They will go and enter into 
we swap transactions with counterparty banks, generally the larger banks, to say, you give us this payoff profile, and, and effectively they, they're synthesizing the return for you. So that's how I would use ETFs across equities, across fixed income. And then lastly, I guess the other two spaces that I would really look at using ETFs a lot more actively than I would use individual securities would be in the commodity space. And that is because, you know, if you want a pure play on a commodity, I mean, we've again discussed this on this show where I like to take a pure play on an underlying commodity price rather than on a mining stock. Uh, and we've discussed this on gold, for example, for a variety of reasons. So, you know, some, some that I've used in the portfolio historically was, again, there's, there's a spider uh, metals and mining ETF, and that gives you the stocks. That's if you want to play in the stocks, and it's a very broad-based exposure to stocks, specifically in the metals and mining space. Uh, you could also go a little more niche than that, and there's, for example, an Invesco base metals fund. Now, that's looking at specifically the underlying commodity, and it's just base metals. Or, if, for example, if you wanted gold, I, I use GLD in South Africa as, as an example of of getting rand exposure to gold. So there are a number of ways to slice and dice this. I guess the last one I, I would use as, as an example, this is a nice working case, is that uh, in the crypto space that we've also spoken about, there was the um, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. And here's where I want to highlight how important it is for investors to go and do your homework, is that at the time, I was reading tons of stuff on social media about how Grayscale trades at a discount to, you know, the spot Bitcoin price. And I said, well, you know, how sustainable is this? And I, I went and I had a look. And yes, it was, of course, trading at a discount to the spot price. But also, a portion of that discount was because of what you were actually buying if you bought GBTC, which is the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. And you were not buying a one-for-one -one exposure to Bitcoin. It was something like a ratio of 0.91 and so forth. So 9% of that discount is because the product you're buying has contracted in its investment prospectus to give you 0.9% of the exposure. So any discount less than that actually meant that you were buying it at a premium. And that's just a simple example I'm trying to use is that investors have to go read the prospectus, understand what you're really getting, especially when it starts coming into synthetic exposures because swap contracts, futures contracts have issues like roll risk. So if you want to maintain your exposure, you've got to roll from one futures contract into the next. And those, depending on the shape of the futures curve, could actually be value destructive to you. And that's where your tracking error would come uh, from in the fund. So those are just some of the technicalities of how I view it. What about you, Ghost? How, how do you use it? How do you see ETFs in your portfolio? Yeah, Samo, that's all super interesting. I mean, I've learned a lot from that. And this is, uh, this is where I always love tapping into your knowledge because you've done a lot more of the sort of global market structuring stuff than I have, and it's brilliant. Um, so yeah, for me, I also want to take a thematic view via these ETFs. I think that's what they are best for because in a single investment, you can go and take a view on, as you say, it's bringing beta into your into your portfolio as opposed to alpha, which is A-L-P-H-A as opposed to A-L-F-A, like my little red classic car, which definitely has brought me some alpha and some joy in my time. But, you know, for example, we had Sia uh, Bulela Nomoyi from Satrix on a couple of shows ago to talk about their inclusion and diversity ETF. And my bugbear there remains that I, it, it doesn't give me a theme. It gives me this like kind of cute social good, but it doesn't give me a theme that I can actually point to in my portfolio and go, okay, great. Using this, I have exposure to this region or to this industry or to this growth area. 
So some of the stuff I've bought in my US portfolio, there's three ETF products in there. Um, I'm embarrassed about two of them. So I'll start with the one I'm not embarrassed about, which is uh, the gaming one, which we talked about last week. So I won't delve into that. I bought the lithium ETF because I wanted broad-based exposure on electric cars. That's up 12%. I suppose I'm not too embarrassed about that. I'm more just embarrassed that I'm not sure I actually know enough about the lithium market to really have an educated view. But I mean, electric cars are only going to get stronger from here. And then uh, you can save your laughter for my alternative harvest ETF, where I thought some cannabis exposure would you know, be a useful source of diversification. Anyway, that's down about 16%, which makes me... Are, are, you, in the, are you in the green? I was going to ask, are you in the green? I'm, 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 I'm sadly in the red. I might need the green to make myself feel better. So yeah, that, that one hasn't worked out so well. And then locally, I use the feeder funds a lot so that I can just you know, take a view on offshore without having to suffer crossing the, the Forex double and losing money there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting, I wish I was at risk of hitting my, you know, my foreign exchange limits. That's a high quality problem for a future finance ghost, not the one today, but hopefully I'll get there one day. Uh, so I'll use like obviously NASDAQ 100 when I feel like a broader exposure with more of a tech tilt. S&P 500 for very broad US exposure. There's still tech in there, but it's, you know, it's less. When I had a look over the weekend, there was a really cool product um, called the S&P 500. I think it was Infosys ETF. And what was cool about that is it's very heavily weighted towards Apple and Microsoft, which I quite like because of the big tech companies, those are two of my favorites. So if a correction comes in the US market and I want to climb back in, that's one that I'll look at because I can climb into it from here very easily. And, and those are two companies. I think together there's something like 40% of that ETF. And those are two of the companies that I'm relatively happy to own. Yeah, I've, I've got a question there. I mean, when, when I look at ETFs like that, that are you know, market cap weighted or very heavily weighted to one or two names. What is your rationale for adding that ETF in the portfolio over going and buying those two names? I mean, if you feel like Apple and Microsoft, go buy Apple and Microsoft and use the rest of that capital that you would be spreading across whatever, 30, 40 securities, I don't know how many goes into that ETF, to make more of a either generic exposure by the S&P, Spider, or more targeted exposure where you identify other stocks that you like. What's your rationale there? Because that, that for me is a little bit of a disconnect from, from how I would do something. Yeah, so it's a really good question. So the only reason I would look at something like that is because, yes, it's very heavy towards um, Apple and Microsoft, but there's still a long tail of other stuff in there. And if you look at the rest of the names, it's all good stuff that I would want to own in a drawdown, Adobe, PayPal, um, I mean, there was all sorts of stuff in there. Visa was in there. MasterCard was in there. So technically, I could go and try and recreate it, but obviously, it gets very expensive when there's such a big rump. Um, so yeah, I think that that's the reason I would use something like that. Is I would look at that as a way to carve out a piece of the S and P that is your sort of cash generative tech, if I can call it that, which is the piece of tech that I like at the moment. I think a lot of the other growth tech is kind of a little bit overcooked. Um, it's a bit like some of the other funny ETFs you get in South Africa, like the Rafi products. Uh, which had a lot less Nusbas, although after today, Nusbas is doing a good job of getting itself out of the index. So the management team there have achieved their outcome, which was to go and get Nusbas uh, downweighted in the indexes. Well, that's working beautifully at the expense of shareholders. <laughs> I can't believe it was halted from trading today. I mean, that's just incredible. Another wonderful headline that no one would have guessed a couple of years ago. But anyway, um, and then a lot of them, a lot of them have been heavy on Nusbas, which is which is part of the problem, and and that problem is now very much going away. Uh, the other way I'll use it is, so like resources, for example, like what I wrote about in Ghostmail this week was to tilt my tax-free savings portfolio away from growth and into these resource stocks because you don't pay dividend withholding tax in your tax-free savings account in South Africa. 
So if these mining stocks are paying divi yields, annualized yields of 10, 15, and even 20%, I would love to receive that dividend without leaking tax along the way. You know, that's a really useful uh, little injection of money into my tax-free savings account. And I'm toying with actually switching even more of my exposure from US stuff into that. I've got a lot of US ETF exposure in the rest of my portfolio. So it's not like I'm light on growth. Um, I just I just want to be a little bit heavier on diversified resources. And I mean, I saw with interest, you know, we were talking about it before we started recording, but Walmart this week beats earnings estimates and there's a small sell-off in the price. So it's like the US has lost a lot of momentum. And, uh, and, and that's where I think these ETFs are great. It's actually your approach to the world, which is the more top-down macro taking views on themes and big stuff as opposed to a bottom-up stock view. So I don't know exactly offhand what percentage of my portfolio sits in ETFs, but it's material. It's probably oh, it's probably 40% of my portfolio is sitting in ETFs. I mean, do you know offhand how much of yours is sitting in those sort of products? I don't know off the top of my head. It, it certainly wouldn't be as high as, as 40%. Uh, I think it's a little lower than that. Uh, mainly because I, I use them as that stopgap measure that we discussed. So, you know, you, you're probably getting a 10, 20% exposure at a time, and then you slowly bleed that down as you as you assign to specific stock ideas. Um, I, th- I certainly think it's, it's, it's fascinating and interesting in terms of, you know, obviously some of the tax benefits, uh, obviously, of, of the tax-free savings account down there. Uh, and it also highlights the fact that, you know, what you haven't realized now is even in your approach is by skewing towards some of the Divi players, maybe even in the resources spaces, you've also made a style shift. You know, you've moved from kind of growth into kind of value. 100%. So, for example, you get value and you get growth ETFs. Uh, it's just how you go about executing on what your worldview and, uh, is. And sometimes you almost end up executing on that uh, by default rather than intentionally. Uh, yes, in terms of your points on the, the U.S. markets running out of a, a little bit of steam, I mean, as we're sitting now recording this, yes, they are trading lower. Um, and that's what happens when, you've, you, when you've been making consecutive all-time highs. Again, we were discussing off air about stocks not growing into their valuations, but rather shrinking into their valuations. And perhaps, you know, I, I'll glibly throw in the, the whole NASPERS process there, is that for so long there was this disconnect Yes, we know there's that gap between, you know, NAV and, and we're not going to get into that detail. But, you know, it was in the tech space where valuations are rich. And when valuations are rich, that's when your margin of error is a lot smaller. Uh, I like to invest with a margin of safety. I like to invest with a protective moat around some of my, my investments. That's how I approach the world. And, and maybe just one last point from me is that you were discussing how ETFs give you a broad exposure and they're cost effective. And I think it's an important point. It's why I want to highlight it is I'll use another example. There's there's the Spider Banks ETF here, code KBE, which gives you generic banks exposure in the US. But what's interesting is when you go and have a look at that, it's not the big banks. It's not the ones that you'd think of. It's not your JP Morgans and your Goldman's that you can buy quite easily. It's the exposure to a whole range of regional banks. Now, if you have to go and buy in a whole bunch of these your broker is going to be very happy because you're going to be racking up a whole lot of brokerage buying individual positions. An ETF gives you a nice, neat way to get that broad stroke exposure of 40 stocks that you're probably not going to go and cherry pick in a hurry until you really know about them. And you get them with a click of one button. So I think that simplicity is definitely part of the appeal for using ETFs to get broad strokes exposure. Uh, and then, like I say, you know, I'm very glad that we, we both learn 
from one another through this process. I certainly hope that our listeners learn from this process and I'd, I'd appreciate any feedback that, you know, if people think we're, we're talking absolute nonsense or they figured out something interesting that might add value to this, reach out to us on social media. You know, my social media Twitter handle is at Muhammad Nala. Ghost, you can share yours as well. But reach out to us either through our respective mailers, websites, uh, and let us know what you guys are thinking. And we can incorporate some of that thinking into future discussions here on Magic Markets. Yeah, exactly. And for those who haven't followed me on Twitter, it's at Finance Ghost. So you'll, you'll find me there when you see the little purple cartoon, you know you're in the right place. And Mo, just wrapping up, I mean, absolutely. So when it comes to style, um, I'm not wedded to any particular style. I see a lot of people are, you know, died in the world value investors or growth investors or momentum traders. I just like money and I'm really not fussy how I make it as long as it's legal. So if that requires me to ride a growth momentum, I will happily do that. When growth slows down and value is unlocking against its nav, I will happily be there too. And uh, that, you know, that, that works for me. For me, the markets are a wealth creation tool and an intellectual challenge. And as long as they're doing that for me, I'm a, I'm a happy ghost. Ghost, thanks so much. It's been lots of fun. So we'll do this again next week. And uh, to our listeners, thank you. And uh, give us feedback. Let us know what you think. And continue enjoying magic markets. Thanks. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.